Well, let's tug at their heartstrings and let's sing the greatest love of all. Let's make that our first song. And I was like, well, <laughs> I'll, I'll do what I can, but uh, <laughs> it's not gonna be like Whitney Houston or George Benson, let me just say that. That was Giants PA announcer, Rennell Brooks-Moon. I'm Jeff, and this is Storied San Francisco. Welcome to season four of this show. My first Giants game came two years after I moved here, back in 2002. In addition to the beauty of the ballpark, one lasting impression I have is of a woman announcer whose voice floated and echoed through the confines, at once authoritative and hospitable. Later that MLB season, Riddell became the first woman to announce a championship in professional sports in the U.S. when the Giants made it to the World Series, a feat for which she's honored in the Baseball Hall of Fame. But Rennell cut her teeth in radio. In this podcast, she talks about growing up, first in the East Bay and eventually on the peninsula. She guides us through most of her career on air, and she ends with the baseball team that her parents loved, reaching out to her in 1999. Check back Thursday for part two and more of this story. Here's Rennell. Okay, I'm 100 years old, Jeff, so how much time do you have? I have 100 minutes, so uh, <laughs> a year, a minute. Well, you're not 100 years old. You're about, what, 29 or 30? Exactly. Let's go with that. Okay. Let's, let's go with that. <laughs> well, uh, I was born like Madam Vice President Harris at Kaiser Hospital in Oakland. Awesome. And uh, we lived in uh, Oakland, Berkeley, and Richmond for my early childhood. And then we moved down to the peninsula, Menlo Park, to be specific, when I was eight. My beloved late father, my hero, I have his face and his voice and his personality, mm -hmm. um, became the first high school principal in San Francisco in 1966, I believe, at Polytechnic High School, which, you know, these days no longer exists but over on over by the park right that's right yeah, yeah so amazing. my dad uh is totally my hero and, and watching him commit to education particularly for underprivileged and at-risk youth and his community activism um i just i just he led by example mm -hmm. so i always knew that whatever i ended up doing it, it you know it came with that purpose that right it was important to contribute to not just the black community, but the community at large right. and to whom much is given, much is required. So we were one of the first um, black families to integrate the neighborhood then. And uh, it, was, it was really tough on me. Um, it was a lonely place to be a lot because I really wasn't accepted mm. by the, you know, the black kids at school nor the white kids at school. I won't say right. entirely, I mean, but I, it, was, it was a pretty lonely place to be. Right. Um, and- Roughly I, what years were, were this? And I, this I, is know. 66 to, until uh, I graduated high school. Okay. Yeah, I, in fact, I was bused to Woodside High School in Redwood City in 1972. Okay. So it was, a, it was, it was difficult. Yeah. Um, it, was, it was really, really tough, but out of that, I found my um, love of performing okay. as, as a way to kind of, you know, be welcomed and accepted. Um, 
And, you know, I was often teased a lot. I was a chubby kid because, you know, everything was so traumatic being down there. Right. Uh, after I'd come from this wonderfully diverse and loving community in Richmond, California, mm-hmm. which was really unusual for the early 60s. Mm-hmm. It was incredibly diverse neighborhood. So I was it was it was culture shock and shell shock when we moved to Menlo Park. Um, so I got teased and I got bullied. But then I realized that I'm funny. I can sing, I can act, I can do the Charleston and <laughs> I'll make jokes, you know, before you can make them about me, you know, self-deprecating jokes. I'll do that first. So you can't hurt me with your words and, and I'll perform in the talent shows so I can get accepted with a round of applause. So yeah, it was tough. So then from Woodside High School, um, I, um, I was like, I got to get back to Oakland, even though I didn't spend a lot of my you know, childhood in Oakland, but mm-hmm. you know, I, I, I feel very strongly in, about it being my, my birthplace. And, and, um, you know, my parents did a lot of, had a lot of events and things in Oakland at that time. And so, you know, it was, it really made an impact in, in, in my life at a very young age. So I was really excited to leave the peninsula and come back to, again, a more welcoming and more diverse community. And Heck of a lot better than Menlo Park. No shade on Menlo Park, but- No shade. For it's, what year, for where you were in life. Yeah, it's a yeah. it's a whole different community now and yeah. it's amazing and it's beautiful and lovely. And my mom is 94 and she still lives in the house down oh, there. Awesome. And she's surrounded by the most amazing neighbors, which is ironic because these these neighbors would not have welcomed us in 1966, you know? Right, right. So, um, yeah, so uh, got back to Oakland, went to Mills and just firmly cemented myself in the East Bay until the Giants came a calling. And it was a time to move to San Francisco when I got hired. So what kind of stuff were you doing at Mills? Did you, you're talking about how performance was sort of your escape from the, the trauma of not really feeling accepted. Were, did you do anything along those lines in college or, or outside of college in those days? Or I most certainly did. I actually studied uh, classical voice for a year. Uh, I sang with a band, some brothers that went to Cal. I sang oh, lead for their band. Wow. I, I gave um, I gave concerts for uh, the student body and uh, the senior. I did a senior concert one year. It was all me and uh, Amy, one of my dorm mates. Her boyfriend at the time was a very gifted uh, musician, and he played piano for me. And we did this we did this whole like thirty minute set. So I sang a lot and um, did a lot of performing. And that's actually my my husband came to see me. <clears throat> it wasn't my husband then, but my husband was going to Cal and I was going to Mills and that's how we kind of connected. And he came to see me performing the talent shows and he tells everybody that he thought I was going to be, be a professional singer. Now, Jeff, I, I can carry a tune. I'm not Beyonce. I'm not Aretha. (laughs) I'm not Gladys Knight. Although that's who I wanted to be as a little girl because she was my dad's favorite singer of all time. Mm -hmm. Um, But I can hold my own. I've done the the national anthem a few times. I will never sing it again. I'll tell you that. (laughs) In recent years, it's become super controversial. And for everybody listening, just Google that third verse and you'll understand why I will never sing that song again. Right on. But yeah, Uh, I did it for I did it for the A's a few times and I did it for the Raiders three times. And the, the third time I did it was 
Raiders, uh, Green Bay Packers, Monday Night Football, oh, the wow. game the day after Brett Favre lost his dad and just went off that night. I don't know if you remember oh, wow. that game. It was absolutely spectacular. And, you know, Raider Nation, we are super diehards, but we're also – uh, what people don't, what's not really publicized is how compassionate we really are. I mean, there's a lot of, you know, there's a lot of bad press about what happens on game days, but that's just a few knuckleheads. I mean, we were season ticket holders for, you know, 20 plus years when they came back and it's really just, it's, it's, again, it, it represents Oakland. It's diverse. It's, it's working class. It's, yeah. you know, it's just everybody. It's every ethnicity and every age and, and, uh, you know, it's just it's just a family out there when we tailgate. If you're out of mustard, you just go down down the road and somebody <laughs> give you some mustard. I mean, oh, it's yeah. just fantastic. So and that's something I also wanted to uh, kind of went on a crusade about when I was on KML is like to to show the Oakland that I've always known. But oh, yeah. that night that Brett Favre was so extraordinary and we knew what he was going through and we knew his dad was carrying him that night. And, you know, by the third quarter, the Raider Nation was all in and just embracing what was a magnificent performance at a most mm. difficult time in his life. Wow. Can we go back just quickly? I'm I'm curious, those bands that you were a band <laughs> or they, are there is there a way to hear the, that stuff? No, that was a hundred oh, years ago. Man. Okay. A okay. hundred years ago. They're That's actually, you know. That's a good question because I actually did some, I did a jingle when I worked at KFRC that you might be able to find. Mm -hmm. uh, we did it to the tune of We Built This City by Jefferson yes. Starship. Mm -hmm. um, and yeah, I did some, I did some stuff that we, that might be in the archives, but that college stuff, you'll never hear it. Uh, Although it, it was good though. I'll tell you that it was good. Well, hey, in a way that's almost better, right? You just had to be there. You had to be you there, to exactly. Be there. So after graduating from Mills, I got an entry level job at KCBS News Radio, um, just because I thought it would be kind of cool. You know, right. I never, you know, people don't think or really realize that there's an actual staff, you know, yeah, that yeah. makes a radio station run behind the scenes. Mm -hmm. You just think of the DJs or the or the uh, news reporters, and I I just loved every minute of it. I was an English literature major. I thought I was gonna. Oh follow my parents' footsteps and be an educator. My mom was a middle school teacher, so my parents were career educators. Mm -hmm. um, but then that just, it just didn't, it just wasn't feeling right at that time. And I went to a job fair put on by the Urban League in Oakland. And I wish, I wish I could contact that counselor because he's, he's just as responsible as anybody else for the career that I have now. And he was like, have you ever thought about working in radio? And Jeff, the answer was no, because a, again, you, you don't think that there's like a community relations and a public affairs department and, mm -hmm. uh, you know, traffic and continuity and sales and you just in promotions. And I was like, this is amazing. Yeah. And so I worked my way around from that entry level job and I worked my way up to production assistant and public affairs assistant, which I love because it gave me a chance to uh, learn how to write copy and write public service announcements and produce shows for for you know, community organizations that might not otherwise have gotten any exposure, right? And I just, I just felt amazing about that, and <clears throat> it felt like I was, you know, following in my dad's footsteps in terms of community service. Yeah. So I was there for about four years, never ever thinking about wanting to be an on-air news reporter or broadcaster. Mm -hmm. But I, as I just shared with you, I always loved music, and mm -hmm. 
I was like, well, maybe I can see what I can do at a music station. Again, not thinking about being an on-air personality, but maybe a music director, maybe the promotions director. Mm -hmm. um, and I ended up getting a sales assistant position at KFRC just to get my foot in the door and see how I could maneuver. Okay. And it totally paid off because eventually I landed at the public affairs department and uh, ran that department when one of my mentors, the great Joanne Green, was on maternity leave. And I held that job down for a while until she came back. And that was actually the first on-air opportunity I got. Because back then, Jeff, there was on Sunday mornings, there would be a block of community programming, right? Um, mm -hmm. Community affairs programming. And at KFRC, it was a block that represented, you know, every community in San Francisco. Okay. Uh, the Black community, the Hispanic community, the Asian community. It was just everything. It was like so about six great. or seven shows in a row that ran from like, you know, 5A to 9 or 10A on Sundays. Yeah. And so there, there was a cost cutting uh, uh, move. And so, cause all those shows were from independent contractors. Mm -hmm. So the program director decided he wanted to do these shows in house. And he asked me since I was <laughs> public affairs coordinator, if I would like to do the show called Bayview, a look at the issues and concerns of the Bay area black community. Oh, okay. And so that was, and that was, it was easy for me because I love to talk and I'm a people person and it wasn't live, you know, it was recorded. Just reading and copy scripts or, and right. Well, I, just, I really kind of produce it myself. I found my guests and, you know, back then it was just the Chronicle. There was no Google and, you know, um, and then, and then also based on relationships that I had made in the community at that time, I was able to, you know, book my own guests and just awesome. do, do my own, produce my own show. How exciting. Oh my God. It was, it was so exciting and it was so rewarding and so fulfilling. And, and not the kind of thing that you could have, you know, said at an earlier point, like, I'm going to do this very specific thing. You had to kind of go through some, some motions and some trial and error and get to that point. Right. Yeah. Had I not, you know, had my public affairs experience and, you know, again, I, I produced some shows at, at KCBS and, you know, just KCBS was like a, you know, it was like an internship. I learned everything about radio in the four years mm -hmm. I was there. It was absolutely magnificent. Mm -hmm. um, so had I not had my public affairs experience, I don't know that I would have been ready for it. Right. I, I was totally ready for it and I felt totally comfortable doing it. And then um, the Christmas party, 1985, I'm singing with the band again, Jeff. Okay. <laughs> The whole, we put together an employee band, the chief engineer, Albert Lord, my dear brother, um, because I, I think I had done the jingle. I, don't, I actually can't remember how they found out that I sing. Mm -hmm. And Albert says, well, let's we've got all this talent here. Let's put together a band and let's do a whole like 30 minute set at the staff Christmas party. Yes. Which was at the Fairmont. You know, back in those oh, days, yes, you know, they could spend the money and it was just yeah. fabulous. So we did a 30 minute Motown review, but the first song that Albert gave me the confidence to sing, he says, well, let's tug at their heartstrings and let's sing the greatest love of all. Whoa. Let's make that our first song. And I was like, right. well, <laughs> <laughs> no I'll, I'll do what I can, but uh, <laughs> it's not gonna be like Whitney Houston or George Benson. Let me just say that. Um, but it, you know, I got through it and then we did a, a Motown review. It was so much fun, Jeff, because we rehearsed like after work and, oh my God, it was just, th those were the days when radio was such a community and it wasn't yeah. so competitive and everybody really supported each other. And 
wanted the best for each other. And that leads me to the great Dave Sholin, the Duke, Dave Sholin, who had a legendary career on air at KFRC and was the program director at the time. After that Christmas party, he said, Ronell, have you ever thought about being an on-air personality? And I was like, no, <laughs> because, you know, I, I grew up in the, you know, early 60s. There were no women on the radio. There were no women on television. There were no women in sports. And there certainly weren't any women of color that I could have looked up to. Right. So I was like, no, of course I never thought of it. And he said, well, I want you to come in early <clears throat> before you start your public affairs job. Work with Albert Lord, who's our chief engineer at the time, and another producer, Tim Jordan, and they'll help you make your demo tape, and then we'll go from there. Now, <clears throat> I don't think that would happen today because, like I said, it's so competitive now, and it's just a whole different, it's a very less familial vibe than it was back then. I'm yeah. so lucky that I had, you know, men that that saw something in me that, that I didn't see in myself and that were willing uh, to help me you know, achieve that goal. Yeah. You'd probably have to come in with reels or, or, you know, demos or something and, and a, and a resume and everything else. But you, you were fortunate enough to, to have someone who, who believed in your potential. That's, that's amazing. And he's still in my life today. He's still my oh, great. great dear friend and mentor. I mean, I just, I owe so much to him and awesome. Um, yeah, it was fantastic. And, um, and, and to the guys that helped me and then Dave put me on the air um, and you're right, you know, I, you got to send in a demo tape and reels and stuff. And I didn't have any of that. But David, not only had he seen me perform with the band at the Christmas party, but apparently I was very entertaining in the in the coffee room and at the coffee machine. <laughs> right. <laughs> apparently, I guess I was doing like stand up comedy and like recapping episodes of all my children for colleagues. <laughs> So you were, he was you, watching me. He was watching me the whole time. You put the personality in on-air personality. <laughs> I guess I did. Well, he yeah. again, he saw something in me that I had no idea that I could translate it to the airwaves. Right. And uh, after the week, I gave him the demo tape. And a week later, he put me on the overnight weekend shift. Okay. And Jeff, I have to tell you, the, the minute I opened that microphone at midnight on a Friday night, and said those legendary call letters, 610 KFRC, this is, are you ready for it? Rockin' Rennell. Uh -huh, that's right. That's <laughs> yes. right, people. Woo. It was a straight up top 40 format and I was rockin' Rennell. Oh, and the, what year was this? You said late, mid to late 80s? 1985. I so wish I lived here then, but yeah, you just had to be there. <laughs> yeah, a lot, a lot yeah. of folks listening to this, I, I'm thinking some of them might have been there. So, yeah, it was it was the heritage station here in the Bay Area. We all listened to it growing up, you know, early childhood and in our teens and with the great late, great Dr. Don Rose. And I, I promise you, every radio show you hear now, even in 2021, you can hear his influence on right. especially on morning shows and everything. So. I mean, I got to I got to work with him for you know a very brief time, and it was just a huge honor. And you know, and I thought I thought this is great. I'm gonna be working midnight to six on the weekends, and you know, and I can do a little public affairs during the week as well. I was like, this is this is great. I didn't expect any of this. Yeah. So you and did, then, you did, you did the the uh, public affairs gig there. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I sure did. Okay. Yeah, I sure did. And then. Uh, about two months later, Dave promoted me to like afternoon drive on the weekends. It was like three to seven or two to six. And um, 
we had a mobile studio. I remember we called it the Sturgeon and, you know, we did a lot of live broadcasts and, you know, the first time I did that, I loved it because now once again, I have a live audience, right? Yeah. Something about that live audience that I've loved since I, well, my mother would say since I was two years old. Yeah, because, right. Because my dad was a proud member of Alpha Phi Alpha fraternity. And uh, there was a fraternity pr- picnic in Mount Diablo as, as the story goes, the twist, Chubby Checkers, the twist came on the radio and my two-year-old self started doing the twist. Yes. Yes. And, and then there was a circle. Everybody formed a circle around me, which is, that's all I needed, right? So I just yep. took it home after that. Yeah. I have no recollection of this, Jeff, but I know that's what happened. Yeah, that's you feel it. That's who you are. <laughs> so you got that drive time. Isn't that like one of the more coveted uh, radio shifts is drive time? Definitely. Um, a little, I, I don't want to downplay it, but a little less or so on the weekends, but it was definitely right. a promotion from midnight to 6am for sure. Okay. Um, but again, I'm just, I'm thrilled to be doing this. I never imagined any of this. And, you know, I thought I'd be doing it for the rest of my career. And, right. and then about a year later, wah, wah, format change. Uh-huh. And most of us were blown out. The air staff was blown out because they, they switched to a, a big band format. Okay. Yeah. And, um, and then, so all of us, uh, we, we were blown out and I was like, well, you know, it was great while it lasted. I'll, you know, I'll find another behind the scenes job in radio, mm-hmm. but here comes another, another guy to the rescue for me, Jack Silver, who was our music director at the time, knew the program director at that time at KMEL. Okay. And he said, Renell, I'm going to send him your air checks. And I was like, okay, still not thinking anything's going to happen. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, a week late, I wasn't even out of work for a week. I was on the overnight shift weekends for KML a week later. Wow. After I met the late, great Steve Rivers. And, and he said the same thing. Dave Sholin said, you're a diamond in the rough. I'm going to work with you. I see such potential in you. And, and that's, that was 1986, the summer wow. of 86. Were you still rocking Rennell or did you? What, what no, you I after? dropped that handle when I got to KML because okay. that was, it was a little more, you know, excuse me, let me back up because it wasn't top 40. It was like classic rock. It was a hybrid of classic rock and current, but mainly classic rock when I got on the air at, at uh, KFRC. So when I got, to KMEL, it was like straight up pop, top 40, Casey Kasem, you know, all of that stuff, mm-hmm, right? Mm-hmm. And uh, and I was just telling this story this morning, as a matter of fact, to, to some kids, as I call them, that work at KMEL now. And I said, the first song I ever played at KMEL, which is now, you know, a hip hop R&B station, right. back then it was top 40. The first song I played was Living on a Prayer by Bon oh, Jovi. Wow, what? <laughs> I'm kicking off another 13 in a row power play. It's living on a prayer, Bon Jovi on 106 KMEL. Oh my God. <laughs> I still remember it. So yeah, it's so hard to imagine now. I mean, I, I know the KMEL of the last however long and it's, wow. I know, okay. and before that it was, it was, it was the cat, it was called the camel. It was rock in the bay. So it was rock and then it was top 40. And then in 88, um, we became one of the first stations in the country to play, uh, to play hip hop. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and then it was lightning in a bottle, you know, yeah, yeah. at that point there, there wasn't a wild 94, nine, there wasn't a 99, seven that, you know, there, 
we were like the really the only game in town and we owned it. So it was a mix of hip hop and and um, and top 40 songs and club songs, you know, club mixes and stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So um, so I got promoted. Steve Rivers left. There's like this history of like <laughs> this abandonment thing, you know, with the guys yeah. that, that hired me and, and he left for another position. So the, the PD that came in after him, he actually promoted me. Uh, to to 10p 2a weeknights and and then in 88 I filled in for my dear friend Sue Hall Um, she was on the morning zoo at that time with London and Engelman and she was on maternity leave and they had me fill in because there I don't maybe there were two women and you know back then in the 80s early 90s you had to be the traffic girl or the sidekick you know that mm-hmm. you, didn't, you weren't a co-host by any means no that oh, would never happen right nope, you had to be can't the traffic have that. girl yeah. yeah so sue was sue was that it played that role and so i think yeah i think i think i was the only woman on staff then maybe and that and then i came in to fill in for her and and sadly and unfortunately um they wanted me to stay and they were going to let her go. And oh, I was like, Oh man. no, that's Sue and I had become really close. Right. Yeah. Um, so, so I was like, no, I'm not, I can't do that to my friend. I'm right. not understanding how ruthless the business was then. Right. I was like, I'm not doing it. I'm going back. I'm happy to go back to my night shift. I'm all good. This was fun. Thank you for the opportunity. But then it just became a decision that was out of my hands. They made the decision, you know, that they wanted to and, Unfortunately, they let Susan go. And again, that's my girl. Here we are all these decades later and we're still we're still super close. And let me plug, you can hear Sue Hall on uh, Coit 96.5. And you can also see her on occasion on uh, the ABC7 morning news doing, doing uh, uh, traffic reports and stuff. So uh, our friendship uh, sustained that bump in the road, but you know we were close and she knew that she knew that I said, I'm not doing it. I told her, I said, I'm not, I'm not taking your job from you. Yeah. And then it was out of our hands, but it, it did not destroy us. And, you know, it, in fact, it, it bonded us even, even closer. And that's a story I, that we both love to share because it's kind of rare yeah. in this industry to have that kind of support. Yeah. So when, so now you're, you're at KML and were you once again thinking, all right, this is just, this is what I'm going to do. I'm loving it. Yeah, I did. I I didn't imagine being on the morning show for like ten years. Yeah, I didn't see that come in in a couple of different iterations because eventually London and Engelman left, and and then we kind of formed a, a new a new morning zoo with uh, Broadway Bill Lee. He's back in New York, but one of the best work husbands I've ever had. <laughs> um, but yeah, so I had an eleven year run at KML, and wow. then. I got the opportunity to launch the sister station of KML, which uh, was 98.1 KISS FM in 1997. So that was a, that was a a radio station launch. Yeah, that that was, it was specific. It was uh, at that time we were owned by clear channel. So one of the major execs at clear channel, uh, I think they had done a similar format. I want to say in Chicago. And Mm -hmm. he was like, let's, let's do it in San Francisco. And, the um, the the premise was that it would be the big sister of of KML, still owned by the same company, but we would play the songs from you know the late '80s that everybody grew up with, play those, and mix in some new stuff. 
And I was thrilled that I was offered the morning show and to be the anchor of the station, especially at a time when there were few women in the country that um, had a more hosted a morning show and had a team around them and, and had her name on the show. It was right. Nell in the morning show. And that, it was such a huge honor at that time because it was not, you know, it was, we were not seen as, you know, being able to pull that off sadly yeah. in the yeah. industry. And now I'm just, it's wonderful to see all the female co-hosts and, and single hosts of their own show right now. Um, so, yeah. And then I did, I, I did another 11 years at kiss and then wow. want, want, want another format change came. Oh man. And I had no idea they were going to hire a new PA announcer for the new ballpark opening in 2000. And one morning I got off the air and I had a, a message from the vice president of marketing asking if I'd be interested in auditioning for, uh, for the position of the new PA announcer. And I lost my mind. Yeah. Jeff. Right. Yeah. I well, I mean, you're like, is this a, a joke? <laughs> Yeah, it was like, because again, I didn't, I didn't see it coming, but what I haven't been able to share with you is that my, my family is all about baseball Mm -hmm. all Mm -hmm. the time, starting with my papa, my grandfather in Texarkana, Texas, loved the sport, loved, um, Negro leagues, major leagues, basically just loved it. And there were some barnstorming teams that would come through Texarkana. And, and uh, mother tells me that my papa and his friends, like white folks would sell them seats up in trees on their property so they could watch the games. Oh, wow. Yeah. And, and so my papa did that. And um, the other thing too is my papa had a third grade education, but he could read that sports page like nobody. Oh yeah, yeah, he could. Um, yeah, so uh, my mom was the only child and she, my, my grandpa, Papa passed his love of the game down to my mom and taught her how to score and, and now she loves the game and she's pregnant with me in 1958 when the Giants move out west. Now granted, my parents were Jackie Robinson fans for obvious reasons in 1947, yep. right? Yep. When the Giants moved out west with Willie Mays, it was a wrap. They're, they were, they're no longer Dodger fans. They were all in for the Giants. That was Rennell Brooksman. Join us Thursday for part two, when Rennell will tell us all about her two decades plus with the San Francisco Giants. Music for the podcast was produced, performed, and curated by Otis McDonald. Original photography is by Michelle Kilfeather. Aaron Lim of Bitch Talk Podcast is our contributing producer. The show is produced and hosted by me, Jeff Hunt. Now in our fourth season, we have nearly 150 episodes available on our website, storiedsf.com, or wherever you listen to podcasts. If you can, subscribe, rate, and review our show so that we can reach even more folks. And if you'd like to drop us an old-fashioned email, we'd love it. The address is storiedsf at gmail.com. Thanks for listening. Stay safe, stay strong, stay healthy, and we'll see you next time. This podcast 
is a proud member of the BFF.FM podcast network. Learn more at podcast.bff.fm. BFF.FM, best frequencies forever.